Brooks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We're making our way through the book of Revelation, a big chapter on the docket today, probably the most popular of the whole book, chapter 7, the vision of the 144,000 and then the countless multitude, quite a doozy. I think I mentioned when I went through the top 40 texts that this is... Actually, the last one of the top 40 texts, and we didn't do it because I knew that we were going to study Revelation, and so the top 40, number 40 of the top 40 is this chapter, Revelation 7, but since we're doing the study of Revelation, just kind of keep it in order of the study of Revelation. So nonetheless, this is the next one in Revelation and also the number 40 of the top 40, chapter 7. It's a doozy. We're going to do the whole chapter. It's a little bit longer, and I am going to read the whole thing, uh, so we'll, we'll get right to it, and then I'll go from there. The text reads as follows. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or the sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed." After this, I looked, and behold, a, count, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All righty. So there we have the text of 
Revelation chapter 7. What a doozy. The last thing that we heard in uh, chapter 6, we had the, remember the seals are being opened up, and we got through the six seals, but hey, what about the seventh? And we have this, like, the seventh one's about to happen, but before the seventh one happens, we have this, who is able to stand? Well, chapter 7 is a little, like, interlude, you might say, a little... I'll answer that question. It has to do with those who are sealed. They can stand. Who's able to stand? After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. And then we're going to seal the ones. Those are the ones who are able to stand before the seventh seal is unsealed. Okay. Uh, The four angels. Why four? This is another classic moment. Uh, Numbers and Revelation. You get the four because of north, south, east, west. This is a very global number. Um, You get the sense that you have four angels, um, white knuckles. They're just, I mean, this thing is about to blow. Four angels holding back four winds of the earth. Um, That day, that hour can come upon us like a thief in the night. Jesus said, and that's the sense that you get with these four angels at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds. This thing is about to blow at any second. But there's a fifth angel who's rising from the sun. This is the uh, language of, of the resurrection, really, this going up of the sun. And uh, you have this uh, imagery. Elsewhere in Revelation, it's kind of, I don't know, elsewhere in Revelation you have all the bad stuff's coming up from the abyss, idolatrous stuff. The beast of the sea is always they're coming up from the ground. And I wonder if this is a way to kind of, I don't know, to kind of shove it to them. <laughs> um, this angel, there's a fifth angel. You can learn a lot about angels here. You have the four holding these winds back. You have a fifth one that apparently has the authority to tell the first four when to do this. But the the point here is that any second, this thing is about to blow. But then we have another angel rising up from the rising of the sun, this resurrection kind of language or imagery from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. It's very Christ-like, this, this other angel with the seal of the living God. He called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. What is a seal? By the way, this is the same word that's used, the seals that the lamb opens up for the scroll. Same word. So you see the word play here, and that is, who is able to stand as the seals are being unsealed from the scroll, as the word of the Lord goes forth, convicts sin, Who's able to stand as this word is unsealed? The ones who have been sealed on their foreheads. This seal is also a very priestly thing. Um, we're going to have language here of seal uh, quite a bit. It's also something that so you find the priests in the Old Testament. Um, we also have what? Yeah, the seven seals I mentioned in Revelation. So this is a priestly group. This is also a baptismal group sealed uh, with the seal of the living God. That language, does it sound familiar? They're going to be marked on the forehead, sealed, uh, confirmed, set. 
the seal belongs to God, and yet it's it's placed in a place that's what? Very personal, on the forehead, also very visible. So you might think baptism here. We're going to talk about garments later, but we have the language of seal. Receive the sign of the cross both upon the forehead and upon the heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. Sound familiar? It's a very baptismal. And I th- this is the point of Revelation is that this heavenly image is not just like way down there or way up there. It's also something that's available to you right here, right now in the divine service. This seal is the baptismal seal. And it's something that happens in the age of the church right now. Don't let this end time stuff happen until we've sealed all the servants of our God on their foreheads. It's also a visible thing. Think Ash Wednesday, the cross on the forehead, a visible witness or testimony. Also a very personal thing. The Lord wants you. He wants to seal you. He wants to draw you close to himself and so on. John, he, a very fleshly thing too. Forehead, hey, that's part of the body. The Lord created the body. He loves the body. He's going to redeem the body. He sealed that body. Baptized. Water poured on that body. Connected with God's word for forgiveness, life, and salvation. John hears the number of the sealed. Now, we're going to talk about this later. He heals, he hears the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Okay, first things first, 144, does that mean that there's just 144,000 people up in heaven? No. Um, the point of the 144, it's a lot of 12s, 12 by 12, a lot of thousands. Thousand is what? A very complete whole number, 12 Think 12 tribes, 12 apostles, 12 emphasize that this is a chosen select group. There's something about the company of heaven that we learn by saying 144,000. And that is, it is complete, it is numbered, it is marked, it is chosen. The Lord knows them all individually. They're numbered. The hairs of your head are numbered. He knows each and every individual one uh, of those whom are his. 144, 12, they're like a new Israel, you might say. 12 tribes, 12 apostles. This is a very Israel kind of thing. A new Israel, an Israel defined by being baptized into the Lamb. And that's also coming out in this very list. You notice the list itself is not a literal thing because it doesn't even make sense. Judah is first, notice. Judah's not the oldest. Judah is first. Why is that? Because of the one who comes from the tribe of Judah. Judah's first, and notice also there's no Dan in here, there's no Ephraim in here, and there's a Levi in here, which doesn't make sense. Levi, you don't, in the census of numbers, you don't count Levi. He's the the priest, he gets his portion from me. And then Dan and Ephraim, is not they're not mentioned in this, that doesn't make any sense. But the thing is, so Levi, this is a very priestly group, it's a new Israel group. There's no Dan and Ephraim. Dan, by the way, is known for... Oh, and you look in the book of Judges, they're known for idolatry. They kind of had some some issues there. Okay, so this is a purified group. It's a numbered group. It's a new Israel. Uh, John hears this number. It's also, I mean, to, to take a census itself or to number in this way, it sounds, 
in numbers, you do a it's a military kind of thing. How many people can go to war? And so you get the sense that this is also a way to refer to the church militant right here, um, the ones who are sealed right here in baptism, the ones who are are uh, fighting the good fight against principalities and dominions and authorities in the heavenly places, spiritual warfare, spiritual military, onward Christian soldiers, you might say. We used to sing that, right? Uh, defined by the one who goes before us at the head of the list, the lion from the tribe of Judah. These are all sealed. These are ones guaranteed the victory even right here, right now, as they go forward into this into this battle. At the same time, however, after this, John looks and there's a great multitude that no one can number. So why is that? How do these two relate? Uh, we're going to take a break and sort that out on the other side. So stay tuned and we'll, uh, we'll do that here real quick. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. there, folks. We are back with our study of Revelation chapter 7. What a doozy of a chapter. We just got to this, the 144, they're sealed on the forehead. By the way, I didn't mention this earlier, um, but later in Revelation, we'll learn that what exactly is on their foreheads. In chapter 14, verse 1, we learn that they, they receive the name of Christ and God on the forehead. So a divine name. Again, think name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a very baptismal group. And yet at the same time, John looks and he sees a great multitude that no one can number. From every nation, from all tribes, peoples, languages, standing. Again, who can stand? We left off chapter 6. Who can stand? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hands. A couple things. First things first, notice the difference. John hears the number of the sealed, but he sees the countless multitude, okay? He hears something about this heavenly group, 144 
numbered, baptismal. He knows, God knows them individually and so on. And yet at the same time, he sees, you know, if, it, if you want to press the number thing, it's actually so great that no one could number. And that's the whole point is that you learn something about this heavenly, these two images, we have the 144 that he hears and then what he sees, these are both telling us something about this company of heaven. It's this one church that lives in heaven and earth at the same time. It's really, you want to talk number, it's really at the end of the day, you can't even number them. Yeah, but I thought they were numbered. Yeah, that numbering is tells us something about them, a very select chosen group, baptism, marked and sealed and so on. And yet, actually, when you want to talk number, no one could number them. From every nation, tribes, peoples, languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's how we're able to stand, by the way, in the judgment. Think Psalm 1. The wicked won't stand in the judgment, but these will stand. We can stand before the Lamb. He's the one that goes before us no matter what it is that we're up against. And notice the first descriptor, clothed in white robes. And I love this because that's also a very baptismal thing. Even to this day, clothe that baby in white robes. The first descriptor of these peeps, you have the 144, how are they defined? First things up, clothing. Once again, it's like the, the, the way to emphasize something that's available to you already right here, right now. Clothing, baptismal clothing. You got to know that they're clothed in white robes and they have palm branches in their hand, which is something, I mean, even Palm Sunday to this day, we have give the kiddos these palm branches and wave them around. Palm branches as a thing of, they had them in the wilderness journey, the pilgrimage. Um, they, what, festival of booths with this, remember the wilderness, remember the journey, and also remember the victory, a sign of, We're coming out okay on the other side. These peeps have gone through the wilderness of this world, the pilgrimage of this life, and they have been victorious. And that reality is for the baptized. Start waving the palm branches even right here, right now, uh, because we we stand before the one, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord this lamb slain who lives. John, by the way, is the only one that mentioned palm branches at Palm Sunday in his gospel. And why it's no coincidence that we have palm trees carved in the temple and so on. When you go to the house of the Lord, you are um, receiving your palm branch, you might say, every single Sunday when you partake of the victory of the lamb slain in his kingdom that has no end. Crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God uh, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Notice they're the ones that sing that. And notice then what happens. All the angels standing around the throne and around the elders and around the four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. This is the only place in the whole book where you have all the angels. There are angels all over Revelation, but this is the only place in the whole book where you have all the angels. And they are in response. Notice what happens. They are in response to this baptized. The baptized cry out, salvation belongs to our God. And every single angel 
falls down on their faces and they say, amen, what you said. If you want to have a little back and forth between heaven and earth, between angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, cue up a divine service, they will respond back and forth. We're with them in this heavenly liturgy that we do even right now. All the angels, the saints are standing. Isn't that great? Who can stand? The saints are standing. We saw that in verse 9. And then the angels fall down on their faces. The saints first, and then they respond, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me. I love this part. Okay. Then one of the elders asked me, addressed me, saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? couple things. First things first, it's an elder that asked John a question. Elder is a very pastoral, ministerial kind of word, and they have that role in Revelation. Elder, this is what's preached in the church throughout the ages. This is the question for the church. I think John totally stands for the church here. And this elder, this is what the church should be hearing and proclaimed. This is the question before us. Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? It's actually two questions. Who are they? That's an identity thing. And from where have they come? That's a uh, origins thing, you might say, or where have they, yeah, where have they come from? And I also love how there's kind of an answer in the question itself. Ding, ding, cue up. Clothed in white robes. I love, again, all the attention on the clothing. Who are these clothed in white robes? To answer, ask the question that is in that way is to get us thinking about, wait a minute. Who are these clothed in white robes? They are us. They are anybody clothed in white robes. That's the answer. Who are these? It's, it's you. It's us. It's the ones clothed in white white robes, and from where have they come, uh, is what's going to get answered here. I said to him, sir, you know, which is a great, (laughs) it's a great confession. Um, Sir, you know, is to say, this is in your hands. Um, This is, I don't know, this is like a, a confession of the ministry, you might say. It's the same sort of thing that you see in John 21, uh, Simon Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Like, you know. It's in your hands. It's in the, um, sir, you know. This is in your hands, um, a confession of what's been conferred to this elder to know, what's been conferred to the ministry. Preach this, confessing it to be true, what's been given to them, that kind of thing, I think. He said to them, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. So the the second one is addressed first, second question is addressed first, and that is they're coming out of the mess that you're in right now. It's you. This is what you consider about the life of the church throughout the age of the church. These are the ones coming out of it right now, present tense, this second. They're coming out of it. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The robes of baptism are kept clean by receiving the blood of the Lamb. That's available to us right now. That's the life of the baptized. That's you. 
coming out of the great tribulation because you've been given this robe and is kept white in the blood of the lamb, which at first is like, that doesn't make any sense. Blood and white, and yet it makes perfect sense. This is how the baptismal garment is kept pure. It's in the blood of the lamb. That's how we are victorious in this. We will come out of this great tribulation. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. I love this, by the way, because at the end of the book of Revelation, there is no temple. The Lord is the temple. Destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it. Jesus was talking about his body. There is no temple, but the language of temple is used throughout Revelation, I think, as a way to allude to, wait, this is, there's a temple, there's a structure already right now. The Lord's house is available to us. There are going to be cries that come from the temple later on, we'll see. I think that's totally churchly. It's the, the life of the church in prayer in the Lord's house. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. The word there is skene. It's the tenting word. The word became flesh and skene dwelt, tabernacled among us, tented among us. It's the same word here uh, as in John 1.14. Uh, he will shelter them. He will tent them with his presence. They will hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. Um, notice this is attention on bodily stuff, hunger and thirst. The sun will not strike them. Again, physical bodily attention, nor any scorching heat. The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away tears from their eyes. Notice how bodily and personal this is. There's lots of bodily care here. Tears from eyes, that's very personal, that's very bodily. Hunger, thirst, heat, springs of living water, shelter, and so on. There's a lot of bodily care, personal bodily care in this heavenly stuff. Bodily resurrection, think resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Notice also what happens. The one in the in the midst of the throne, he who sits on the throne sounds like God, and then by the end of it, verse 17, did you see what happens? Don't let it pull a fast one on you. The lamb in the midst of the throne. Hey, wait, I thought it was God in the midst of the throne. Yeah, it is. The lamb in the midst of the throne. How can there be, is there one or two, or how does this? The lamb in the midst of the throne. I thought it was God in the midst of the throne. You notice how John does that. The lamb is one with God. The lamb in the middle of the throne will be their shepherd, guide them to the springs of living water. Notice also the tenses. I think this is awesome. They have washed their robes and made them white. That's past tense. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. That's present tense verse 15. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more. They will thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. That's all future tense. Do you see what happens? John sees a picture of the church past, present, and future. Time is suspended. He sees belief. He sees the faithful of all times and places. He sees Abraham. He sees Moses and David. He sees Paul and Peter. He sees Martin Luther. He sees 
our great-great-grandparents, Lord willing, he sees us. He sees, Lord willing, our great-great-grandchildren. He sees the faithful of all times and places, past, present, and future, being cared for by the Lamb in a kingdom that has no end. Very awesome stuff. Presses us a little bit as far as this. He sees the church, the heavenly company, the one church that lives in heaven and earth at the same time. He sees the faithful. He sees uh, eternal paradise. Great stuff here. Revelation 7. That's all the time. We're going to call it here uh, for this podcast, but uh, stay tuned. We're going to have a lot more to say. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.